Welcome to Hockey Mountain High, your go-to avalanche podcast presented by Superbook Sports and Total Beverage in Thornton and Westminster. I'm your host, JJ Derez, with me, Arif Dean, here on the Sunday edition of our podcast, the long one, the good one, I like to call it. Um, Arif, how you doing on this fine Sunday, and have you caught any of the, the crazy football games going on here? Yeah, the Bills game was pretty fun. It just ended right now. Uh, pretty much all of them were entertaining, except for the one involving the Broncos, because those games are boring this season. Um, I, I just stuck to red zone today because not giving the Broncos uh, my <laughs> time of day. But um, you know how I feel about football, and even I was entertained today. So, um, you know, something to do on a Sunday. I even caught a little bit of uh, Formula One. That was my first little <laughs> dabbling in all it, right. but there's a, a lot of Spanish racers in it, so I like it. Well, I'm, I'm kind of into it. Well, you know what starts next weekend? Next Sunday. Oh, yeah. The real thing. The World Cup, baby. Oof. I don't know about our, our our listeners here, but we're going to be talking some World Cup soccer over the next couple months. I'm putting that out there. I don't know if you've approved that or not, but I have officially approved. We are talking World Cup soccer starting next week. I mean, you know I'm down, but we might have to start prefacing it. Like, okay, here's the portion of the show. No, no, we, no, 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 no. We throw it in, we throw it in the now. middle. We throw it in the middle. We recap the game. And then before we talk about who we think the new second line center should be, you got to sit there and be like, all right, guys, you got to go through 15 minutes about why Kareem Benzema is the best soccer player in the world. And then we'll tell you about who the avalanche should trade for. Just kind of keep you on your toes. But at that point, everybody will, you know, X out of our stream if it's uh, non-soccer fans. Yeah, I got high hopes for the USA this year, but um, you and only you. (laughs) let's let's get into some hockey we'll get into soccer mountain high next week um hockey mountain high it is and it's been a nice little homestand right the avalanche doing decently well through these first two games of the homestand one left against st louis um but yeah i think they've been taking care of business it's it's been fun and you know the the avalanche have kind of put together a nice little win streak while not necessarily playing up to their standards kind of like we've talked about for for a while (laughs) for three years um, yeah, but but it's okay by me because they're getting wins and getting wins against good teams. I mean, that Carolina win was nothing to just uh, poo-poo and push aside. Look, it doesn't matter who you're beating this time of year. You got to you gotta win your games. You got to rack up the points, and, and that's all that matters. I mean, yes, the Avalanche, uh, you know, they lost to the New York Islanders. They lost to the New Jersey Devils, but they also beat the Vegas Golden Knights, who before losing yesterday, they're now, or after losing yesterday, are now 13-3 and three on the season. So, it doesn't matter who you beat. You just got to get those victories, get those wins. And suddenly a four-game winning streak where they've scored 20 goals in the last four games without Landeskog, without Nichushkin, and then eventually without Byram and without Gerard and without McDermott and without Ranta and without Bowers. Did I miss anyone? Uh, without Darren Helm. Uh, I think that's everybody. They still manage 20 goals in four games. And suddenly they have the fourth best points percentage in the NHL. How funny a week could change things. Yeah, absolutely. We'll get into, uh, I guess, that thought in a little bit. But first, I wanted to start the conversation today with just the recent LTIR moves, right? I mean, the Avs are kind of working hard on on manipulating the cap. Most recently, uh, I think it was Magna and Ranto was sent down today, right? We'll probably see them um, later on this week. But, uh, you know, Landy and Darren Helm were both put on LTIR in the, in the last couple of days. So I guess break that stuff down for us, Arif. You know, I'm not that savvy as to the business side of the, of the game. And um, I guess what's the goal behind putting the guys on LTIR, LTIR right now? And um, what took so long? And just, just get into all that for us. Yeah. So I'll kind of try to keep it basic because I don't like to get too far into this kind of stuff unless people reach out, which I know somebody did reach out to ask about it. But uh, 
I'm happy to have those, you know, conversations with people that want to talk about it. So basically shout out yeah. to Penguin Doodle. Yeah, <laughs> that's a Twitter handle. Uh, so here is kind of the gist of it is when you're not in LTIR, you accrue daily cap space because the cap space is not 82 and a half or 83, whatever it is over a full season. It's that number divided over 180 something days, which is the get, did the days of a season. So there's a portion each day. So it's not the annual cap, it's the daily cap. So when you're under the $82.5 million limit, every single day you're accruing dollars towards your salary cap, which is why when the trade deadline comes around, you always see this funky number where it's like the Avalanche have $80 million in, in, in salary, so they have $2.5 million below the cap, but their deadline cap space is, let's throw a random name out, number out there. It's like $8.5 million, not $2.5 million. You're like, well, I thought they only have $2.5 million. How is it this? Well, that's kind of how it works. You accrue daily cap space, and then when you acquire players, you're acquiring a prorated part of their salary because it's not the full season so on and so forth so when you are not using ltir you are accruing daily cap space now when you have this many injuries pile up so gabe landeskog valerie nachushkin that's 13 million a little over 13 13.125 darren helm makes one and a quarter so now you're at almost 14 and a half million then he had shane bowers then he had sample well maybe sample renta we'll see you had curtis mcdermott sam gerard bowen byram suddenly this number is adding up where you have 20 something million dollars or right around 20 million dollars counting against your cap space that you cannot use in your lineup so what the avalanche found themselves the situation that they found themselves in after the gerard and byram injuries were they no longer had enough cap space to call up another guy they didn't have $750,000 to bring up Shane Bowers or whoever making, you know, numbers around there and not that Bowers makes 750, I think he's in the 800s. So what they had to do was put Darren Helm on LTIR or eventually then it became Gabe Landeskog after Bowers got hurt too. They had to put somebody on LTIR to have the cap space to call someone up. So before the which was the first game, Nashville. Before the Nashville game, the Avalanche were kind of dealt a hand and two options after the Byram and Gerard injuries. Option one, play with 17 skaters. Correct me if I'm wrong. You were at the practice where they skated with 17 guys, right? Indeed. They didn't call anybody up that day because they didn't have the cap space. So they had two choices. Continue without using LTIR, accrue daily cap space, what little cap space you're accruing every day, and skate 17 guys against Nashville, or put someone like Darren Helm or Gabe Landeskog or Val Nachushkin, put one of these guys on LTIR, and then at that point, when a player is placed on LTIR, you now have that much cap space extra to use. However, the trade-off is you are not accruing daily cap space. So by needing to call somebody else up because of the Byram and Gerard injuries for one or two days, or now it's been three days, I think, the Avalanche didn't accrue the dollars that they would have otherwise accrued had people been healthy. So that's kind of the way it works. That's why you'll see a lot of paper transactions. Like after the game yesterday, Ranta and Jason Megna were sent down. That was to get out of using the LTIR so that you can go back to accruing daily cap space. But when you wake up on Monday, when you guys are probably listening to this, the Avalanche are going to quote unquote recall up Megna and Ranta or whoever they decide to skate that day against the St. Louis Blues. 
and go back into LTIR. But at least on Sunday, November 13th, they got out of that LTIR. They accrued the daily cap space. The day that they skated 17 guys at practice, the reason why they didn't call somebody up that day was let's have another day of accruing cap space. Hopefully Sam Gerrard's healthy. He wasn't. All right, now we're going to go into LTIR. We're going to lose the accrual of cap space for a day or two. So that's kind of the situation why you see so many of these moves where kind of you're up and down and you don't know which players are really sent down and which are paper transactions. You'll see Helm was added to LTIR and then eventually Landeskog and things like that. Because when you get an injury this early in the season, the Edmonton Oilers are another good example with the very scary Evander Kane wrist injury. When you have an injury this early in the season, that isn't going to stretch until the playoffs, like what we saw with Kucherov and guys like that with Tampa a couple years ago. You're kind of screwed because you have two choices. Either... I'm going to take Gabe Landeskog 7 million, put it on LTIR and replace him all the while knowing when Landeskog's healthy in January, I now have to shed that 7 million that I used back off of my cap in order to fit Landeskog in. Or I just have to let Landeskog 7 million eat up a big portion of my cap space and it sucks to suck. I can't do anything about it. So that's kind of what happens when you have early season injuries and why you're seeing so much happening with LTIR right now. So I guess let me give you my dumbed down version of what i understand you to have just explained you tell me if i'm right or or wrong it's almost like that friend that you have that loves to just collect rewards points from any restaurant right and collect and collect and collect and you're like why don't you use it you have a free brownie you have a free cookie and he's like no i'm waiting until i have the whole free burrito that's almost like what uh, chris mcfarland and joe sackick are doing by accruing the cab space so it almost seems to me like they're trying to stack that on towards the the later end of the year to potentially make a move. I mean, am I, am I following that kind of? Yeah, that's, lines? yeah, that's a very, that's a very good way to put it. I like that example because basically what's going to end up happening. And again, I'm just throwing random numbers. I'm not doing the exact calculations, but let's say when the trade deadline comes around, you want to add, uh, let's use last year as an example. Let's say Josh Manson making $4 million, which I think was his salary last year and no need to check. It's an example. When the avalanche acquired Josh Manson and his $4 million, uh, Let's say Anaheim didn't eat any of the cap, which they did. Uh, the difference in the accrued cap space that they're going to miss out on now might be the difference. You know, let's say they have to continue to use LTIR. When the trade deadline comes around, it might be the difference between being able to acquire Josh Manson and his full $4 million or telling the Anaheim Ducks, we'll throw in an extra pick and you got to eat 700000 because we only have $3.3 million in cap space to bring in this player. Because throughout the season, they had to accrue or, or they couldn't accrue daily cap space on certain days. So they lost out on $700,000 in cap space. So that's ultimately the way that I would look at it. It's also why when Landeskog was hurt in uh, in March, I think it was before the trade deadline a little bit, uh, the Avalanche didn't go into LTIR because they didn't need to. They continued to accrue cap space. They traded Joe's first term. They brought in Manson with a little bit of salary retained. They brought in Lekkinen. They brought in Cogliano. And then Landeskog came back for the playoffs and it was full steam ahead. I guess another way to look at it, too, it almost feels like, uh, you know, the front office, Joe Saget, Chris McFarland, putting their money where their mouth is and putting money down on the table, saying, I think this team's good enough that we're going to continue to accrue this space rather than put anybody on LTIR and just add people, call a bunch of people up. We're going to ride with this group that we have because I think they're going to carry us as far as we need to until we have to absolutely make a move and our backs are against the wall. Yeah. And, and right now their backs are against the wall with the idea that I, with the example that I used earlier, where it's, we either play a man short, two men short, 
or we suck it up and lose two or three days of accrued cap space so that we can call up guys. The problem is they keep calling up guys. Those guys are getting hurt and they're digging themselves deeper into a hole. Obviously not on purpose. It's, you know, it's, it's just shit luck that guys are getting injured right now this way. Yeah. I mean, if you were to ask them, they'd rather have Shane Bowers in the lineup than paying him to do nothing. I mean, easy peasy, but um, yeah, it's just more to the gymnastics that they have to do and more to the, to the, current salary cap landscape right i mean it's not just that they are navigating the ways of the nhl they're also having to navigate the current nhl which which is causing problems as well yeah and and something else to keep in mind and i hope this doesn't get too confusing is the more players you have on your caps but the less daily space you're accruing so the closer you are to the cap ceiling the limit the less you're accruing so let me give you two examples last year stefan mateau if you remember, Gabe Landeskog opening night got suspended for hitting Kirby Doc. The Avalanche called up Stefan Mateau. Stefan Mateau got injured. I don't remember the salary he was making. It was less than a million dollars, let's say 750 grand. Stefan Mateau's daily cap space, so it's 750 grand divided over 180 something days, which is the full season length. That daily cap space remained on the cap because they could not send down somebody who was injured. So Landeskog's injury led to this call up or sorry, Landeskog's suspension led to this call-up, led to this call-up's injury affecting the Avs' cap space at the deadline. Obviously, doesn't matter. They still got the guys they wanted. They won the cup. But similar idea. I know Shane Bowers, you know, it's, it doesn't seem like a terrible injury, but if Shane Bowers was out, let's say, three to four months or something like that, his cap space would have to remain on the Avalanche's books, which means his daily cap space is eating into what the avalanche can accrue on top of the fact that if they have to go into LTIR, they're no longer accruing cap space in other ways as well. So it's just, it's, it's a really, it, it's a big gamble. And it's, it's something that I think I mentioned this on the last podcast, or maybe I said it to you privately, I forget, but you know, somewhere deep inside, there's a human element. When someone like Shane Bowers gets hurt, there's that human element of like, damn, this guy got hurt. But you know, as messed up as it sounds, in Chris McFarland's brain, there's something in there that goes, fuck, if this is long-term, our cap space isn't going to be what it should be. Because that's what you have to think about as an NHL GM. Yeah, and I mean, with as the injuries continue to pile up, right? I mean, at first they started with just the $7 million of accruement if that's even the right word, of Landis Goggs, and then you throw in Nachushkin, suddenly you have a little bit more wiggle room. I mean, you throw one of them on LTIR, you're still accruing some space with the other one just sitting there. No, no, no. So when, when, you're, in, works? No, no. when you're in LTIR, you're no longer accruing cap space. That's why right, you try right. to so stay I'm saying out of they it. Put, they put Landis Gog on LTIR, you're still accruing Nachushkin's cap space. Nope. As soon as you go into LTIR and above the salary cap limit, you're no longer accruing cap space. That's why it took them so long mm. to put somebody on LTIR because it, it got to the point where it was either keep accruing space and play a man short or play with a man and avoid accruing space for a couple of days. Uh, so that's so why they don't even as, get to accrue. They Dang. don't even get to accrue. As soon as you're L in LTIR, no matter how long you're in LTIR for at that time, you are no longer getting that relief that you would have at the time of the trade deadline. So there's two ways. So there's the thing you have to worry about with the daily, how much are you accruing each day? That would be the example of Stefan Mateau. Had Stefan Mateau not been called up and injured, they would have accrued more every day. And then there's also the other side of it where it's, can you even accrue cap space? And that depends on and is determined by if you're an LTIR or not. So the Tampa Bay Lightning, they didn't give a shit. When they put Kucherov on LTIR and then eventually Stamkos and everybody was bitching about them being $20 million over the salary cap, they didn't do anything wrong because these guys 
we're not supposed to be and we're not going to be back until the playoffs. So the Tampa Bay Lightning knew we cannot go out and trade for anybody. We have no cap space. We're not accruing any cap space. But hey, we got our own Nikita Kucherov back just in time for game one of the Stanley Cup playoffs. And that's what they did. And they repeated as cup champs. So that's kind of ultimately why, like, if Landeskog was hurt for three months in, let's say, February, well, once the playoffs come around, well, maybe not February, let's say January, once the playoffs come around, cap space no longer matters. So if Gabe Landeskog was healthy now, but on January 10th, we heard that he was out for three months. Now you're Chris McFarland and you're like, oh, shucks, Landeskog's out for three months. But also, hey, I could throw him on LTIR, use that $7 million, go out and trade for, let's pick a name, Patrick Kane, bring him in. And then when the playoffs begin on April 10th or 11th or whatever, put Landeskog back in and the salary cap no longer matters. But because Landeskog's hurt now, you cannot accrue cap space if you use LTIR. And when he's healthy, you would have to relief that $7 million that you used if you if you use the whole thing. Makes sense. Good explanation, Arif. I hope everybody's following it as well as I am because I, I think I am getting it. A lot, a lot of ups and downs, ins and outs hoops and hurdles but um you know no wonder joe sakic decided to promote himself and said chris deal with this stuff um but no i think i'm getting a, a good grasp of it that's 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 hilarious so if you remember when we left the game yesterday jj and i were getting into the elevator at the end of the third period and we usually like to go downstairs especially when the game is one-sided like it was yesterday where it was four to one late and you know the game's over with about a minute and a half two minutes left in regulation we start to make our way downstairs to get to the locker room area because it's about a five or six minute hike to get there from the press box. So we get into an elevator and it's with us, Chris McFarlane and Joe Sackick. And there's the elevator attendant. How's it going, Joe? Congratulations on the victory. And Joe was so happy. nervous too. He's like, congratulations <laughs> yeah, on the yeah. victory. And Joe is just the nicest guy ever. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. That was great. And I'm talking to him about the game. And yeah, it was great that Miko and Nate are producing because everybody else is injured. Ha ha ha. And he's like, yeah, right. Like, and then you said something about how the game was weird. And he responded back to that. And then we go downstairs and all the hallway attendants that work at Ball Arena downstairs and at, at the basement level. How's it going, Joe? Great. How's it going, Joe? Great. And they're all talking to him and he looks so happy. And one lady says, hey, Joe, I'm wearing those shoes you like. Yeah, like, I'm wearing, oh, the, I'm wearing those. I'm wearing those lucky shoes we talked about. And he's like, yeah, you know, and he's having a ball. And Chris McFarland has just got this straight face, not talking to anybody, looks concerned, looks stressed, looks like he's anxious, looks like he's all of the things that Joe Sackick was for five or six years. And now he's like, <laughs> I got a Stanley Cup. I'm sitting back. Chris McFarland makes his way to the locker room, to the dressing room, just as he did after the St. Louis game. Joe Sackick took a right, right to his car, valet parking. He's on the road and he's home before we're even done writing. So it's yeah. just the difference of what it takes to be a GM compared to a president of hockey and obviously we're exaggerating it here. Joe is still a large part of what that front office does, but that it's just so funny to see the differences. But at the same time, he's counting down the days till his next trip to Mexico. Yeah, literally. He's <laughs> like, he's like, when's the next board of governors meeting in Florida? I'll take that one, Chris. I don't want you to have to travel. I'll go. Don't worry about it. <laughs> uh, guys, it's Superbook sports time. Um, of course, we know all the sports are in full string, full swing. RFTs, the World Cup coming up next week. So much to bet on lately and just so many opportunities out there to make money and you know superbook has your back and they are excited for all of it superbook is bringing vegas style wagering to the palm of your hands and now they'll match 100 of your first bet up to one thousand dollars no matter if the bet wins or loses they will match a thousand dollars just a free gift you don't have to be at the stadiums to enjoy any of the sports this falls visit superbook.com or download 
the Superbook Colorado app right now and start getting in on all the action. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. Arif, I guess let's talk about, you know, again, we're going to take a a right turn. Thanks for breaking all that down in the first segment, but now we got to get That was more boring than the World Cup talk we're going to have next week. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. At least the hockey fans out there. You know, they either were like, yeah, 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 we know, or they learned something. I think when we get yeah, to, I, uh, I think a lot of people, up, look, hate yeah, us. yeah, exactly. I think a lot of people want to know about this stuff. It's just, you don't know where to look. You don't know where to read. And honestly, it took me this long. Like I, I was the guy that a couple of years ago was, you know, asking Joe Sackick in a press conference on zoom, which made it even more awkward and embarrassing. Like, Hey Joe, the reason why you, uh, uh, you know, you're playing sample rent on his 10th game and not letting his entry level contract slide is because you're, uh, confident in him and he said no it's uh the rules are his contract no longer slides he's you know past that age and i'm like oh great so i just asked him a question about a rule <laughs> that i didn't even understand correctly so but it hey, happens no, it's a hard collective bargaining agreement to understand fully well and you can't feel bad i mean even jared bednar was asked a question about it and he kind of just said you know i don't know i just deal with the guys on the ice uh, that's <laughs> a that's a business question that's not for yeah. me so uh, even jared bednar has a hard time fully following it yeah. so I believe the the exact question was, did you guys have to put someone on LTIR to call up Shane Bowers? And he said, I don't know. Shane's here and he's playing. That's all I care about. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I guess let's let's just kind of take a step back and give a state of the union, I guess, here. Right. Since the injuries, you know, we've had a lot of conversations about what the Avalanche are going to do, what kind of uh, adjustments they've been making. And you look back at the season and those two losses, you even brought them up earlier to the Islanders and the Devils, back-to-back losses. Like, I feel like it kind of taints the way we're viewing the season so far. We feel like things are going a lot worse than they are just because of those two losses. But, you know, you sit back and assess. You saw the Islanders do the same thing, come back from down 3-1 to a couple other teams. You see what New Jersey's doing across the league. So I don't think you can feel too bad about what they've done. But I want to assess some goods, some bads, since kind of this injury wave started. Are, are you with me? Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And before we get into that, how different how different would we be looking at this team? I know the Winnipeg game was uh, a bit of a bummer as well. Yeah, the Winnipeg um, game too, for sure. Mm-hmm. But how different would we be looking at the season as a whole had they not blown that three-goal lead to the Islanders? Because the Devils was a one nothing loss that was 0-0 heading into the third period of a game where neither team hit 25 shots, I don't think. It was like 24-22, I want to say, something like that. Uh, the Calgary game, we've, you know, the excuses of the world for that loss. The Winnipeg one was a bummer. Which one, What was the game with the Winnipeg? They lost uh, the second. In overtime. There was Winnipeg and there was another home game that same week. I forget what it was, but they lost one in overtime against Winnipeg and one in regulation. Um but Seattle, other than, Seattle, yeah. Seattle. Thank you. The Burakovsky game. Uh, so like the Burakovsky game. Yeah, they played rough. The Winnipeg game. Yeah, it was a rough game. Uh, the Calgary game, the excuses of, you know, the back to back and all that. The one nothing loss to the Devils. How different would we be looking at the season had they not blown that three goal lead? Because I just said it. They're now eight, four and one. They've won four straight games. They've doubled their win count in the last nine days. Um they have the fourth best points percentage in the NHL. So they're a top five team in the NHL now tied with the Winnipeg Jets for fourth. They're one of the five best teams in the NHL in the early part of the season. And they could easily be instead of eight, four and one, nine, three and one. And like, what can you complain about at that point? Like, it's just so funny how this early in the season, this is why every time we talked about the issues, this team was happening, this have was having, we kept saying 
you know, it's it's probably too early to panic. It's probably too early to call this team a bust or to call Newhook a bust or or, or Cogliano or or Rodriguez or Francis. It's too early to call these players bust or to panic. But at the same time, this is the only thing we have to talk about right now is what's been happening and what's been happening hasn't looked good. Suddenly you win four straight games after a much needed reset, as we talked about a week and a half ago. And here we are, the Avalanche are top five team and they're on a four game winning streak and they're doing great. Yeah, and we're essentially assessing what's happened since that reset, right? I mean, we've talked over and over about how the power play and the the top guys are essentially carrying the weight, so we're going to exclude them from this conversation. I'm going to essentially dive into who's been thriving and who's maybe had a little bit more of a bad time uh, since that reset and since kind of, again, the wave of injuries. So let's get into it. Uh, We're going to start with the bad. So and real so that, quick, top guys, we're talking obviously McKinnon, Rantanen, Makar, and I'm assuming Lekkanen because he's been on the top line. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I think you can almost just put in the whole power play unit, right? M- minus one guy, um, which is Rodriguez, who's playing the top it's, unit it's, right now. It's hard to say power play unit because it used to be Landis Gaga, it used to be Nachushkin, it used to be a lot of guys. So we're going to, again, we're going to start with the negatives so that way we can end on a high note and go with the positive. So uh, I think we can all agree, especially looking at that Carolina game that Josh Manson's he, he's kind of struggling. I don't want to say it's so egregious that we're saying, man, get this guy a substitute. Like, you know, he maybe needs to watch a couple games from the press box. It's not that far, but he's made, making some glaringly bad plays here and there. The Carolina game was very eye-opening in terms of those bad plays. He had four penalty minutes, a couple of pretty brutal turnovers, um, just a rough go, honestly. Uh, and it's really interesting because during the regular season last year after the trade deadline, he wasn't great. He wasn't bad. He was just kind of there. And then in the playoffs, he took off like big time. And what? And it kind of reminded you of like Darren Helm as a forward who – all regular season was just, he was just a guy. And then the playoffs come around. You're like, Holy shit, this guy's amazing. He's perfect for his role, obviously relative to what role he plays. He was amazing. So that's what you're noticing with Josh Manson. I think the biggest problem with Josh Manson, the last two or three games is number one, he hasn't been great, but he hasn't been like exceptionally terrible by any means. But then Byram and Gerard go down and suddenly he's a second pair defenseman with Eric Johnson. And you're starting to realize that he's got to play big minutes. Like I think he had his worst game of the season last, uh, last night. You know what he also did last night? He played his season high 21, 29, because who else is going to play? Yeah. Jacob McDonald. And you got Curtis McDermott injured on his third shift. And even if he was healthy, how many minutes is that guy going to play? So I think the role that Josh Manson is being inserted into is kind of not helping with the fact that, you know, he's, he's got to play more minutes. And if he's having a bad time, it's just going to let those mistakes be more glaring. I think you hit it on the head with the, the role that he's kind of having to take on. And with his current uh, defensive partner is Eric Johnson. I feel like maybe Josh Manson feels the need to be the offensive one of the two, right? I mean, we've seen him kind of try to lead the rush. I mean, nothing different from his game normally, but I feel like he's maybe got that thought in his head a little bit too much right now. I need to be the one that's uh, moving the puck quickly. I need to be the one that's uh, skating the puck up and, and, you know, not being the necessarily defensively responsible of the two. Yeah, there was a point where Josh Manson, in either of the two penalties that he took, because both of them were successfully killed off by the Avs and a wonderful penalty kill so far, uh, last couple of games, especially yesterday. But when Josh Manson took a penalty, his first one. So this isn't an example for him in his role, because obviously he was the one in the penalty box. But Curtis McDermott was hurt 
Josh Manson was in the box. Suddenly you had Taves, McCarr, Eric Johnson, and Jacob McDonald for a two full minute power play, just changing it up. Them two, them two, them two, them two. Like those are the only defensemen you have left. So suddenly these guys are stuck in a role when you're shorthanded. You got two guys in McDonald and McDermott who you're not going to play a lot of minutes. And then one of them gets hurt. And then another one's in the penalty box. Suddenly you're running out of choices. You're running out of options. So obviously Manson was the one in the penalty box when those examples were happening. But it doesn't change the fact that he's having to play in bigger roles with a deep partner that maybe isn't as suitable for him and his role as compared to someone like Bowen Byram would be where Josh Manson's able to stay back a little bit and, you know, not not always playing against tougher competition you know, way more often because when you had Gerard and Eric Johnson on the third pair, you can roll your lines. Now it's McDermott McDonald before the McDermott injury and you don't want to roll them as much. So, you know, it's, I, I don't want to say it's an excuse, but it's also um, something that, you know, you got to keep an eye on with guys like him and Eric Johnson. They're, they're being asked to do a lot more than, than they should be with Byron and Gerard healthy. Yeah. And I think on the one goal Carolina scored, uh, I think it was Josh Manson pinching, there in the offensive end, and then Jacob McDonald getting stuck, uh, kind of getting walked a little bit by Jordan Stahl. So, um, you know, again, that a little bit more offensive aggression mindset is, is kind of holding them back, I think. Yeah, that definitely was. It was Josh Manson, Jacob McDonald. So uh, it happens, but um, with him, I wouldn't say it's anything to panic over, and that's probably going to be the uh, the general theme for a lot of these guys, if not all of them. Uh, we'll kind of see who we throw out as we go along, but uh, it's just something to keep an eye on. He hasn't been great, um, and you're just kind of hoping that as he settles into his role, when guys get healthy, he can get better. Along with those lines, I think we can go to the easy option here. Everybody's favorite guy to throw stones at this season, Alex Newhook. But I think, um, you know, I, I don't want to say it's right to sit, to throw stones at him as he's still trying to develop into this role, but I, I think we all want a little bit more out of Alex Newhook right now. Yeah, it's it's unfortunate, man. Like, in a game where, I mean, there wasn't a lot of shots, but in a game where the Avalanche had quite a few great golden opportunities, and you know where it was coming from. It was the top line. But outside of the top line, like Evan Rodriguez had a pretty good game yesterday. He was all over the ice. I know he was a minus one, but he was all over the ice. You can see him kind of creating, generating, not just on the power play, but at even strength as well. And then you remember that at even strength, he's playing mostly with new hook and cow. And you're like, well, where are these opportunities coming from? Because if those are his line mates, shouldn't he be generating with them? But then you dig deeper into it and you realize that Rodriguez had two more minutes at even strength, almost two more minutes than Alex Newhook and almost four more minutes than uh, Martin Kaut at even strength. And that obviously means he's getting double shifted with other guys and he's playing with, you know, other line mates because Alex Newhook just can't find it right now. I don't know what it is, but he's only had he only had 19 shifts yesterday. He played 12 and a half minutes. He had a small blip on the power play, obviously, because the second unit doesn't get much time. And he didn't have a single shot on goal. It was him, Manson and an injured Curtis McDermott were the only guys without shots yesterday. And I don't know what it is, but something is off about this guy's game. And, and he didn't even have a shot attempt. No shots blocked, no missed shots, no nothing. 33 points in 71 games last year. That's basically... Uh, 0.46 points per game right now. Just about, a at, just about a half a point a game, yeah. Right now he's at three points in 13 games. That's essentially 0.23 points a game. So it's half of what he did last year is what Bingo. he's on base and, for. And those three points this year, I believe, were the garbage time goal against the Islanders and then two points in Finland, and that's it. They, came in, they came in a stretch of just under two games. Uh, 
So another guy having a bad time right now, I think, is Sample Ranta. We're still waiting for him to really break out. I mean, he, he's got a lot of attributes that can lead to success and can lead to even greatness, but we're still waiting for him to really get comfortable in the NHL level and, I guess, burst out. Yeah, I think the biggest thing with Sampo Ranta is as, as unfortunate as it is to say it, like I I think we're realizing he's not a guy that is a regular NHLer because, you know, he was on that lineup in 2021 after he signed out of college and he was a great college player and he joins the Avalanche in that Vegas series and I think he played some games against St. Louis and wasn't wasn't terrible, wasn't the best. Um and then last year, who were the guys that were getting called up? It was Kiefer Sherwood. It was Dylan Sakura, Stefan Mateau before his injury, Jason Magna. It was the veteran AHL guys rather than the young guys like Ranta, Bowers, and Kaut. Well, now the Avalanche have lost most of those veteran AHL guys, the Sherwoods, the Sakuras, Mateaus, et cetera. All that's left is Jason Magna, and Magna took a backseat to these guys because Bedner wanted to see what he had with these guys. Martin Kaut is finally getting 13, 14 minutes a night. He was the guy that we talked about throughout all of training camp. He, well, he played 12 yesterday, but you know, before that, he's played higher minutes. But Sampo Ranta, six minutes and eight seconds. There's a reason why he's not getting a lot of ice time. It's I just don't think the Avalanche are as high on him as as they were a couple years ago, and as many fans still are, because he was like one of those highly touted names when he was in college. Well, and he keeps getting the opportunities. It's not like they're they're not giving him a fair chance, and he's getting call up after call up, and doesn't really do much with them. Each well, time. yeah, last year he had one, and it was early in the season. He played ten games, and then you didn't hear from him until now. So something is off there. He's now up to twelve career games, and he's got zero points, four penalty minutes, minus four, twelve shots, and uh, was he the on playoffs, the playoff roster a couple of years ago? Yeah, he played two games, and I'm pretty sure they both came against Vegas. I think a second ago I said he he may have played against the Blues. I don't believe that's correct. He played two games against the Golden Knights, and in those games he also played five and six or seven minutes. So just 14 career NHL games and nothing to show for them because I don't think the Avalanche think as highly as this guy think as highly of this guy as they did in the past and as they did uh, even early last season. Like he made opening night over Alex Newhook. He played against Chicago, St. Louis, Washington. Those first few games of the year, he had some pretty decent ice time. And then as soon as Newhook got his call up after the McKinnon injury in November, we just never heard from him again. He comes up now, two games. He played 608 against the Hurricanes. He played 536 against the Predators. With Sampo Ranta, again, as messed up as it is, I think with him, the reality is he's just not a career in each other. And he's just never going to be, at least not on this team, and at least not now. We'll see. I mean, it might be a little bit too early for that, but that's definitely a controversial take. But hey, I like you putting your foot down and saying this is what I think and taking a strong opinion. Um, with that, I think this one might be a little controversial as well. That's Sam Gerrard, of course, pre-injury. We haven't seen him do much in the last couple games, but um, Sam Gerrard not exactly thriving so far this season either. Sam Gerrard is an interesting case because this is a player that – First of all, when the Avalanche brought him in, he was 19 years old and already an NHLer. He had 20 points in 68 games with the Avalanche in 17-18. He had 27 the next year. He had 34 in 70 games before the COVID pause in 2020. And then in 2021, the shortened 56-game season, 
He misses eight games. He plays 48 games, has 32 points. I legitimately asked Jared Bednar back then, where would you put Sam Gerrard in the conversation in regards to two topics, the Canadian Olympics next year, obviously being in 2021 about the 22 Olympics and the Norris Trophy conversation. And it was a reasonable question to ask at the time because he had an excellent start to that season, the first year that Devon Taves was here. Well, now suddenly... Last year, 28 points in 67 games. This year, a goal and three assists, four points in 11 games. He's a minus three. He's only got uh, 15 shots in 11 games. You're at that point now with him where he still can play 20 minutes a night. He gets the puck out of your zone and up to the other zone pretty quickly. Obviously, not much of a physical force. He's a smaller frame. But is it time to not have and like lessen the expectations with Sam Gerrard in terms of him being a point producer? Is it just that he's a 25, 30 point guy that is just an excellent skater and can transition the puck, which fits into the avalanche system? Because when I see Sam Gerrard and when I say he's having a, a slow start here, having a rough go here, I look at his point totals and I look at not just his point totals, you know, on the stat sheet, but what I'm watching the eye test of him, not generating many opportunities like he did a couple of years ago. And maybe that's what's souring me on him, but that's kind of my take. I don't know where you stand on that. I, I think there's ups and downs to his game, right? I mean, at his peak, he is a top pair defenseman on, on any other team in the league. Um, I think normally though, you get kind of an inconsistent guy that, that sometimes finds himself being more of a third pair caliber, right? He's kind of all over the map and, and you're not really sure what night you're going to get what out of him. So um, I, I think he still provides a lot of value. I love his style and I like the way he plays, but um, I think eventually the 5 million on, on Sam Gerard might not make sense down the line, but um, I think for well, now got to let him kind of do his thing once he gets healthy again. Yeah. And I think there's still something to be said about making sure you lock up one or two of Devon Taves and Bowen Byram before you decide to move on from someone like this. But if he's not the same you know, if, if this continues and he has another year or two, and again, this is just a hypothetical. I'm not saying that this is what he is, but hypothetically, if he has another one or two seasons of 20 something points, is it still a case where he has a lot of trade value around the NHL? Because right now he does. And maybe right now you can get something good for him, but maybe in a year and a half, that value isn't where it is now. I mean, it certainly isn't where it was a year and a half ago from today, but I don't know. That's just something that I usually think about is, is, is has Sam he Gerard's, peaked? not just has he peaked, but has he kind of taken a step back from his peak in 2021? Because no, it seems I, like he has. I think it's I a could, reasonable conversation. But it's also maybe it's just a situation where Bowen Byram is here now and he's also playing big minutes and Devon Taves, obviously. We've seen over the last couple of years how much his game has improved because in 2021, Devon Taves wasn't what he was in 2022. He got way better. He had a bigger role. He played more minutes. He produced more offensively. He had more of an opportunity on the power play with Gerard. So it's just, again, these are questions that I'm asking. I'm not necessarily saying that's what he's become, but it's just something to kind of food for thought to keep an eye on with Sam Gerard. And again, the, this list of players aren't necessarily guys that are playing horribly, just guys that haven't necessarily been able to elevate their game in the recent stretch here, um, which brings us to our last one. And that's JT Confer. I mean, still sitting at one goal, um, yeah, we know the kind of game he brings and what he's capable of. And, and I think he's brought a lot of what we're used to seeing from JT Confer. The only thing we're missing are those net front goals. There's putting away garbage and uh, just simply adding goals to the score sheet. Yeah. Um, 
I would say his game has picked up in terms of just like the full effort from the intangibles. The intangibles have definitely picked up. Look, was it two Sundays ago where we had an episode and we titled it much needed reset that much needed reset. There were three guys that we singled out. It was Logan O'Connor. It was JT Comfer and it was Andrew Cogliano. We didn't necessarily single them out, but we talked about that unit as the next line aside from Ranton and McKinnon and Lekkonen as the only three like sure thing in each other is because you had Nichushkin playing with Rodriguez, who was new and new hook, who we still don't know what it is. And then Martin Couts entering the equation. There was a lot going on there. These three veterans have picked it up. JT Comfer. Um, it's hard to say he's struggling, but it's hard to say he's been great. I know he had a couple of assists against Nashville. He had a goal against Columbus. So maybe are, we are being hard on him. Maybe he has gotten better, um, but there's still a little bit more there. And I think, I think he'll settle into it when his line mates settle down a little bit. I mean, Burakovsky's not here anymore. Newhook, uh, what you know, was playing on the other wing. Abe Kubel was also playing on that other wing. They're not, you know, Newhook's now a centerman on the second line, or you know, up and down the lineup, whichever one you want to say is the second line. And uh, you have uh, uh, Nicholas Abe Kubel's obviously gone. Logan O'Connor is now his line mate. We thought Ben Myers would be. He hasn't. So maybe we're, we we got to cut JT some slack because of all the things that he is dealing with. Um, I don't want to say he's been terrible. I also don't want to give him a gold star just yet, but he's, he's a heck of a lot better than he was when we were recording two weeks ago. And that's, uh, all right. I'll, I'll give it to you again. I just need to see more goals from him because I think he has that in his tool belt. Right. And we yeah. just have one, one, one goal in one goal in 13 games is a little, is, a, is, is not enough. That's just, just the, the reality of it for the player of that caliber who had 18 goals in 70 games last year, who scored some pretty damn big goals in the playoffs there with five of them. Obviously, that St. Louis series, he had that two-goal game in game uh, six, the clinching game before Darren Helm scored. Uh, you want to see more pucks go to the back of the net from this guy. <sighs> All right, everybody exhale. Release the grip on your steering wheel if you're driving. The negativity's over. We can get through it. We'll take a break, a break and talk about our friends over at Total Beverage. Then we'll get into the positive side of, of things. And, you know, it's a lot like when you need a drink. We're going to take a break and go to Total Beverage here. Everybody knows Total Beverage in Westminster and Thornton, right? Sure, Total Beverage has an incredible selection of beer, wine, and spirits. But did you know they deliver? Did you know they have curbside pickup available? And did you know they do online wine education classes? If not, it's time to get to know Total Beverage again. Stop by on 104th and Thornton or on Sheridan in Westminster and see for yourself. Or you can always find weekly deals, events, and even drink recipes online at TotalBev.com. Total Beverage, everything you need and more. Amazing people over there. Make sure you check them out if you haven't already. And if you haven't already, you're blowing it. Um, all right, let's get into the, the guys that have thrived. I like that word too. I don't know why I've been using it so much today, but but I am. So the thriving five, ha, huh? the five that thrive era. We're going to start with Evan Rodriguez. <laughs> you brought him up yesterday. I'm really starting to, to like the way this guy skates. I mean, he, he's got glimpses of even Kale McCarr edge work and, and just the way he moves. And he's just got a similar frame, maybe just a little bit smaller, but um, he's really starting to settle in and, and just become a part of the team. And, and almost like he was uh, here for a couple years now. He's got 13 points. Whoa. Seven points in 13 games, but the first four games of the season were a big fat zero. So over his last nine games, Evan Rodriguez has five goals, two assists, seven points. 
Uh, that's a, that's a hell of a pace. Look, I love that pace. He's got 33 shots on goal. So he's, uh, right around almost at three shots per game, which is where he was right around last year. So he's putting those shots on goal that we talked about. He's over 50% in the face-off circle, which he hasn't been in three years. He's scoring goals. He's producing, he's, he's got that energy to him. It's almost, and there's, they're not similar types of players in a sense, but that third liner that can score you 20 something goals and produce points that the avalanche lost again, third liner post Lekkonen acquisition, the third liner guy that you can put into your top six and feel confident about that. The avalanche lost in Andre Burakovsky. We talked about it all preseason. I thought that replacement would be the kid out of college and Ben Myers, but really the replacement is this guy because before the avalanche signed Evan Rodriguez, we thought the team was fine. Think of where they would be had they not signed Evan Rodriguez late in the summer. They signed him in September. So it was right after Labor Day sometime, you know, mm-hmm. around the 10th or 11th. So think of where they would be without this guy. He's He's been awesome, man. Like, I, I love watching this guy play. He's he's a little fireball. It's almost like Matt Nieto with, with like, a, a more scoring prowess and, and, like, offensive skill, I should say. Like, yeah, he's he's got point. he's got that energy to him, and I love it. And he's a little guy, but he's feisty. And... I almost think I almost think if you take Andre Burakovsky, stick him in a video game in the create a player portion and just fix what you don't like about him. I think, you know, you add maybe a little bit of high IQ. You take away some of that shot power because, you know, you got to give and take. Here, right? He's got a beauty of a shot. Yeah, you're right. Which Evan Rodriguez doesn't necessarily have. But I think he replaces a, a, a hockey IQ and a defensive effort. Um, where maybe Andre Burakovsky lacks. So it gives and takes, but maybe just a better fit for what you're looking for right now out of this team. Yeah, and it's it's funny you say that because Burakovsky on this team, you can tell at the end of last season, like this guy's playing on the third line making, I think it was $4.9 million. Like something didn't add up. But then you take Berkey, you put him on the Seattle crack and he's got four goals, nine assists, 13 points in 50 games. And he's a better fit there in the role that he plays there. So it's it's just funny how that 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 word you just used the role on this team that phrase i should say how much that matters because you're seeing with evan rodriguez a two million dollar forward on the third line that you can use in the top six in a pinch which right now is a little more than a pinch because landis gog and Nachushkin are both out um how valuable it is to have something like that i guess fun little anecdote from the last couple of days i had a conversation with evan rodriguez about stick how many times he uses the stick a different stick right uh man that came out poorly um but it all started because i saw alex newhook switching out the laces of his skates and i'm like those look like some pretty brand new laces so just out of curiosity i went up to alex newhook said hey man how, how often do you change those laces he says after every time i skate i'm like wow he's like yeah evan rodriguez who sits next to alex newhook in the locker room he says yeah evan kind of does the same thing rodriguez looks at me and says yeah i do it after every other game so I'm like, oh, well, what about sticks? Because I, I think, well, if I was you guys, I'd definitely be using a new stick as often as I can because they're just so much – it's a different pop when it's brand new. You know, you just feel the difference between a brand new stick and a slightly used one. And so New Hook's like, yeah, I pretty much change sticks every game. Evan Rodriguez says, oh, no, I, I wait till the points dry up on a stick before I change it. And so I was like, oh, well, you must be using the same stick for the last couple of days. And he said, yeah, it's been about five. Um but last night against Carolina, he went pointless. Still had a good game, so I'm curious if he's swing, uh, changing the stick yet or if most, he's uh, going to yeah. let it ride. I would say most definitely he's going to get a new stick in there. I think he had a goal against Nashville, right? 
pretty sure. Yeah. yeah, he had a goal against Nashville, and then yes. So that was, yeah, yesterday was the end of his four-game point streak because he had three goals and two assists over four games, the Islanders, the Blue Jackets, the Blue Jackets, and the Preds. So new stick coming up for uh, Evan <laughs> Rodriguez, and new hook keep changing those those laces keep changing the, the, the sticks, uh, get a haircut, grow a mustache, <laughs> uh, do what you got to do to, to, to get, to get Shake going. It, it took, it took Rodriguez a little bit of time to get going and we're waiting on new hook and man, when he gets going, he's going to fly, but you, you were just patiently waiting for it. Not the most exciting story, but I hope people enjoyed it. Um, but that brings me to the guy that sits on the other side of Evan Rodriguez, and that's Logan O'Connor. You've kind of mentioned his name already a couple times this season, and just what he's brought at the early parts of this season so far. Um, you mentioned him at the early parts of the podcast. What he's brought to the early parts of the season so far has been uh, just awesome stuff and kind of similar to what he did last season. So I like it. Let's see how long he can sustain it. Yeah, so you know that question that you tweeted out or the, the quote from Miko Rantanen where you said, his response to Arif's question. And my question was with all these injuries piling up, do you McKinnon and McCarr feel more of a responsibility to produce and to be the leaders of this team because you have so many depth guys out and that whole Rantanen quote. Well, I asked the same question to Kel McCarr prior to the Rantanen question uh, prior to you showing up. Cause you were talking to Frankie and Kel McCarr said, it's always our responsibility to produce. Yeah, we've produced, but then he went on to say, I think our best player the last three or four games has been Logan O'Connor. And, you know, he's not a guy that's going to produce every night, but he's doing it all. And it's absolutely true, man. Logan O'Connor, we talked about it last podcast because after the Nashville game, we we had to pump his tires. He's been he's been incredible. Like, again, I use the word incredible and excellent and all these things relative to the role that these guys play and relative to the role that Logan O'Connor plays. He's been everything you want and more. Last season, he had eight goals in 81 games. He already has five this year in 13 games. Like he's going to finally reach that double digits in goals that he hasn't had. He's playing on the third line, which by the way, he's a top nine forward on this team, fully healthy. Nichushkin plays with, let's say, Newhook or Rodriguez. Let's say Newhook. Nichushkin plays with Newhook and with Landeskog. And on your third line, it's JT Comfer, Evan Rodriguez, and Logan O'Connor because there is no Ben Myers here. He's not been that third liner we thought. So Logan O'Connor is a top nine guy on this team, and he's been proving that he deserves that role, and, and he's everything you want from a guy playing in that spot. Yeah, I agree, and you can only compare a player to himself, right? And what we've seen from Logan O'Connor in the past is not as good as the Logan O'Connor we're seeing today, and that's all you can ask is improvement and an upward trajectory, and that's what we're seeing, and, and he's going to keep growing, and we'll see where his ceiling ultimately hits. But as long as he's going the right direction, I'm all for it and loving what he brings. And, man, Good, just great energy too, right? I mean, as a person, Such not, a not necessarily on the game. Um, he brings energy in the game too, but yeah, just his personality, it's fun. If you think that I talk fast and I'm like a typewriter, oof, talk to Logan O'Connor because when that guy gets going, he gets going. Hey, Logan, what'd you think of the game yesterday? And he'll just, his, his thoughts come to him so quickly. He's so eloquent when he speaks. He's so informative. Just it's, it's great. Like a couple of the stats to look at from yesterday for Logan O'Connor's game. Uh, he played on the penalty kill four minutes and 50 seconds. The only skater, not forward, but skater that played more than that was Devon Taves at 632. So he was second on the team in penalty kill minutes, despite not being a defenseman. He blocked three shots. That was the most on the team tied with Eric Johnson. And he played 1722. And, you know, that's that's up there. That's more than Log uh, Logan. That's more than J uh, JT Comfer. That's more than Martin Kaut. That's more than Alex Newhook. 
Uh, so he was right up there with the top six forwards because the only forwards that played more than him were Evan Rodriguez, Arturi Lekkinen, and Miko Rantanen and Nathan McKinnon. So he played the fifth most ice time among the forwards, and you know he deserved it. Yep, yep, that's typically how it goes, right? Um, with Logan O'Connor, he he gets opportunities because he deserves them and he earns them. Um, let's go to Alexander Georgiev. We pumped this guy's tires so much this season, but it, it's deserving. He's really shined and gotten comfortable quick and really already stolen the hearts of all the avalanche fans i think yeah so really quickly i'm trying to buy time to find this tweet that i tweeted out um almost there but uh the beauty of mr sorry i'm looking for the tweet that's, that's okay i like your Ter- Ter- <laughs> there there it is okay so the beauty of alexander georgiev's game mr georgiev as i was trying to say is Look, he's been great. He's got a 920-something save percentage. He's been everything you want. He's only lost one game, and it was the game that... Again, how different would the season be had the Avalanche not blown that game to the Islanders? Let's say the Avalanche win that one. Instead of 7-1-1, he would be 8-0-1 with the only loss being the overtime loss to Winnipeg, which is a coin flip. And instead of a 924 save percentage, he would have a lot better number than that, which is already a pretty good number. Now that I got that out of the way... Here's the thing about Georgiev. Georgiev. He's 7-1-1. He's having a great start to the season. But when you look at expected goals, if you are big on hockey analytics, one of my favorite stats to look at is expected goals uh, at 5-on-5 for goaltenders because this basically shows are they making the expected saves or are they letting in more goals than they should be given the amount of shots they're facing, the amount of golden opportunities, etc. The bottom three in the NHL, Starting from third worst, Marc-Andre Fleury has allowed 5.2 goals worse than he should. Jack Campbell in Edmonton, 5.8 goals more than he should. Elvis Merzlikens way down at the bottom, 11.6 goals worse than he should. Then the top three, starting from the top. Connor Hellebuck of the Winnipeg Jets, which is why they're off to a hot start, has made 11, has stopped 11.7 goals more than he should. So ideally... If Hellebuck wasn't on fire the way that he has been, the Jets would have allowed 12 more goals than they have, which means they're going to lose a lot more games because 12 goals over 12 or 13 games is quite a bit. Carter Hart is in second for the Philadelphia Flyers, 10.6 goals better than he should. Third place in the NHL, Alexander Georgiev, 8.9 goals better than he should. This is for a guy that has started nine games. So do the math. Georgie has should have supposedly given up one extra goal per game that he has played in. And how different would his record be from seven, one and one had he allowed one more goal each game. So that should tell you all you need to know about how he's playing. It's been, it's been awesome. He's been everything you want. I'm trying to look at if he allowed one more goal per game. Honestly, there aren't that many different results, but that's a good thing, right? He's given you that flexibility. He's given you that cushion that even if he was to let in, that extra goal per game, you're probably still coming out with a W. So that's just a testament to how good he's playing and how he's just not only being what it takes to get the W for the avalanche, but he's beyond that. And he's really taking yeah. that extra. Well, step. well also think about when the goal is allowed, you know, cause in the Columbus game, it was three to three. Uh, it was three to nothing. And then it was three to three. What if he gives up another goal there? Columbus is up four three. Do the avalanche still come back and score three third period goals and win it off a hat trick from Ranton? You never know. So, Keeping those goals off the board, it goes, you know, to yesterday's game. Frankie didn't need to do a lot because the Avalanche won four to one, ideally. 
But if you look at the early parts of the game where he made some pretty good saves going from left to right to stop some one-timers, had one of those goals went in and the Carolina Hurricanes have a one nothing lead, does the game still end 4-1? to Or does it end 4-2? to Or does Carolina win the game? So a lot could change with one goal. So that's kind of the biggest thing is the momentum swing of that one goal could change a lot within a game as well. Uh, I think I mentioned this to you yesterday and, you know, it's, it's still too early to say this, like in 100% like confidence. So it's just something to, again, food for thought. That's been my phrase of the podcast, something to think about. Do the avalanche have the best goaltending duo they've ever had right now? When you compare both like starter and backup, not just starter over backup, because he looks a lot better than Kemper did in the early parts of last season. We'll see how he looks at the end of the year. He looks a lot better than Gruby did in the early parts of his career. And even in 2021, when Gruby was a Vezina finalist, he was facing 20, 20-something shots per game. Georgie's facing 33, 34. And then obviously, Semyon Varlamov was jean Sebastian Jaguer, Patrick Wall with David Abisher. Uh, there was like a Peter Budai and an Andrew Raycroft and a whole bunch of goalies in between as well. Jose Theodore, so on and so forth. Uh, yeah, funny you bring up the name Andrew Raycroft because he just stands out as one of the worst <laughs> goalies to ever make the NHL to me. He, um, he won, he, he was once traded for Tuka Rask, so <laughs> Toronto's been thinking about that one for 15 years. Uh, yeah, they're, they're so great at goalie management, aren't they, over there at the Leafs? Um, but yeah, I think there's definitely an argument to be made and that they, they are the best tandem that this team's ever seen. I mean, I know there were stretches of Varley and Pickard that were really strong. Uh, when you look at the numbers, you know, Varley, Grubauer was a pretty good duo. But like you said, one of them was stuttering while the other one was doing well, thriving, if you will. Um, Varley, Varley and Jaguar in 2013-14 was a lot of fun. I will say that. Yeah. I agree. So, uh, yeah, love everything he's brought Alexander Georgiev that is. And, uh, I love his energy too. And his personality, he's just an observant guy. I like how he, he, a lot, he likes to get undressed and just kind of stares around the locker room, like kind of people watches yeah. the media and his teammates. And you could tell he's deep in thought. So I, I like he's that in the guy. Such a freaking nice guy too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like goalies are one of two things. They're either the stereotype goalies are all weird and they're quiet. They're more reserved to their, to themselves. But one of three things, or they're genuine, nice guys like you see out of this guy. And even the guy last year, how fucking awesome was Darcy Kemper or they're the fun, happy go lucky Roberto Luongo's and Marc-Andre Fleury's, which I'm waiting for the avalanche to get one of those personalities in here. Cause man, that would be fun. Yeah, same with Francis, though. I mean, I think Francis is becoming one of my favorite players I've ever covered in terms of just being genuine and just being a good guy. Yeah, I agree with that, definitely. Um, that brings us to towards the bottom of our list. We got two more to go here. Devon Taves, I think, is another guy who's really been thriving. I mean, he's kind of borderline, right? He could have been included in that group of guys that we excluded here. Um, but I think he's still a, a piece that needs to be talked about as someone who has elevated his game lately and when the Avs have needed it most here. Yeah, I mean, look, the only reason why Devon Taves was not on that list is because I wanted a couple minutes to pump his tires. So that's the reality of it, man. This guy's been he's he's everything he was last year. He's got a goal and nine assists, 10 points in 11 games. He's a plus nine on the season. He's he's picking up right where he left off. And over the last five games, he's had an assist, two assists, one goal, one assist, one assist. One assist, and that was uh, his last five games, the point streak that he's on since the game against the New York Islanders. He's playing a lot of minutes. He played 28-03 against Carolina, obviously. Six defensemen went down to five with Curtis McDermott uh, getting hurt. Against the Predators, he played 26-14. Obviously, your third pair was Jacob McDonald and Curtis McDermott. So he's playing a ton of minutes. He's doing the thing that he does. He's 
you know he's holding the fort down when you see Kale McCarr do more Kale McCarr things, which we've seen over the last four or five games out of Kale, which means Devon Caves is there to allow him to do that. Kind of back to that Josh Manson mindset, right? And yeah, I'm with you. Knock on wood here. Uh, but Devon Taves, I, I feel like if he was a guy that were to go down, that's a, that's going to be a lot harder to recover from uh, than they are with the current guys. And We, we saw it last year. We saw it last year for a yeah. reason. And the it amount is... that we're seeing him get hit in the face, I mean, he's got to be careful to, to not get hurt. He's going to get yeah. something little, every other A little bit of a rough game. Like. I'm going to give you only five seconds to answer this question. Who's the only guy on the avalanche with a higher plus minus than Taves and McCars plus nine? Um, Nathan McKinnon. He's plus 11, spot on. Nathan McKinnon is plus 11. He's never been better than plus 22, which is what he was the last two seasons. He's plus 11 in 13 games. That says to me that the Avalanche are a lot more defensively responsible with McKinnon on the ice. Yeah, they score a lot, but they're not surrendering a lot. And it also means they're not surrendering a lot of empty net goals because we know that plays a part of it too. But uh, shout out to Nathan McKinnon. Just wanted to throw that out there. We've talked about how great he's looked lately and he hasn't slowed down. Good to see him get a a goal and um, kind of break the the goalless streak there because he tends to get into those sometimes. Yeah. Um, Last guy we got to touch on as thriving since the uh, reset is Andrew Cogliano or Andrew Cogliano. According to that one uh, <laughs> video on YouTube, if you guys have uh, are, have any questions about what that voice was that JJ just did. Please, inside joke, my bad guys. Please, please tweet me and I will let you in on the inside joke. Uh, I love Cogliano. I am so happy to see him kind of bouncing back after that slow start to the season. Which, again, for him, I mean, not to go back to the excuse thing, but he had to play a bigger role than he was asked to do pretty early. And he's not necessarily putting up points right now. I mean, he's got three points on the year. He scored opening night. I think he scored the first goal of the year. He had an assist two nights later. He had an assist against the Rangers. Well, now the Avalanche will play the Devils, the Islanders, the Blue Jackets, the Blue Jackets, the Preds, and the Hurricanes. And he's had a grand total of zero points. But the intangibles is what this guy brings to the table, and the intangibles is where he's succeeding. He's playing 14 minutes, 15 minutes, 12, 12, 12, 14, 13, 14, 13, 14, 13, 11, 13. That's a lot of ice time for a guy that should be on your fourth line all year. He's playing his role to the T. He's great on the PK. He's a great energy player. There's a reason why he's on that line with Comfer and O'Connor is because he does it so well. Um I love the veteran presence that Andrew Cagliano brings to this team. I love the type of games that he plays. I love that he's a great piece on the shorthand. He's a great part of the Avalanche's shorthanded rebound the last few games and the fact that the PK is getting up and running. And he's a great dude to talk to in general. And he's a tough son of a B-word. I mean, Mm -hmm. he's constantly getting hit here and hurt there, goes down the tunnel, comes right back. And he's just the definition of, of a pro, right? I mean, he's the guy that you see after morning skate, running around the hallway, really doing high knees. He's just going to say that working on his hips, working on his body. He's the guy that the younger kids look up to and be like, Oh, that's what it takes to be a potential iron man one day. And that's how you get to play this long in the league and, and fight for Stanley cups, even late into your thirties. I was literally just going to say that my favorite thing about Andrew Cogliano other than the fact that he's so fun to talk to in the locker room and, you know, shout out to him for being a Michigan guy as well. Go blue uh, is the fact that no matter what it is, morning skate after the morning skate, before the morning skate, after the game, before the game, you're walking in those hallways down at ball arena and he's going up and down. He's, he's skipping, he's stretching, he's playing with a tennis ball against the wall, working on his hand-eye coordination, his vision, he's doing high knees. 
Uh, he's doing everything he needs to do to get pumped up for the game. And this is a veteran that knows, like you said, at 35 years old and of a, a veteran of 1,153 NHL games, that any game could be your last. And anytime you don't give a full effort, your career will be over before you know it. There's a reason why the Avalanche traded for him. There's a reason why they re-signed him. And it's because of the work ethic this guy has. And I'm willing to give him the award for the best freaking quads on this team, man. That guy, oof, I want to squat with that guy someday. <laughs> man, I would like to squat with that. Oh. I just want to go walk up to him in the locker room and be like, you want to go squat sometime? Oh, man, uh, that'd be embarrassing. I hope you don't ever do that. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, good breakdown. I, I think let's see how these guys pan out. Hopefully the guys that weren't doing so great kind of elevate their game and, and resurrect things because they're needed right now. I mean, this is a time where all hands need to be on deck and until they get through these injuries. Uh, you can't really have much room for, I guess, an exhale. Yeah, of course. And and uh, some of these guys should be coming up should be coming back here soon, most notably Sam Gerard. And then obviously I think both Byram and Nichushkin are one month, I want to say. So those guys, you know, the month will be over before you know it. It's it's Landeskog that we're waiting a while for and a Darren Helm that we still just are a little bit unclear of his his recovery time. Well, lastly, to conclude this podcast, uh as I mentioned, it's, it's been a nice little homestand for the Avalanche. They've already taken two of two games. Well, they've got the third tomorrow against the St. Louis Blues, kind of the newest rival of the team, right? We kind of discussed that last year during the playoffs, and I think everybody's excited to see the biggest nemesis, I think, in all of the NHL, Jordan Bennington, but they're just struggling right now over there in St. Louis. What do you expect to see from uh, this game tomorrow night at Ball Arena? A uh, couple of big bounce back games for them, bounce back victories. They won their first three, they lost their next eight, and then they beat the San Jose Sharks, who you should beat, and then they beat the Vegas Golden Knights yesterday, who you probably shouldn't have beat, but you did. So I'm excited for it. I'm excited to see these two teams go head to head. The St. Louis Blues haven't gotten out of the first round of last, or haven't gotten out of the second round of the last couple of years because the Avalanche have beaten them a combined eight to two in, in two playoff series. Um, so yeah, definitely probably the biggest rival they have right now. Uh, and a team that you need to keep an eye on because this is a team that has quite a few pending UFAs and older names on the roster that if they you know, fall off a cliff, Doug Armstrong has not been shy with trading players away in the past. He traded Kevin Shattenkirk at the deadline. He traded uh, Paul Stastny at the deadline. He's traded some names and he might have to do it again if this team proves that you know they're not the playoff team that we expected, which again right now is to be determined. We'll see a couple of two big victories in a row there, but is this uh, going where I think it's going? Yeah, <laughs> it's going to a place that I've uh, joked with you a couple times, but I'll, I'll mention it here in a second, but here's the pending UFAs on this team. Thomas Grice, backup goalie, not a big deal. Nico Mikola, number five, number six defenseman, also not as big a deal. Josh Levo and Tyler Pitlick, a couple of uh, lower down the depth chart forwards, not huge deals. Uh, Noel Achari and Ivan Barbashev, those are two pretty big deals, especially Barbashev. And then all the way at the top of their salary cap among forwards, actually among the whole team, Vladimir Tarasenko and Ryan O'Reilly. Those are two UFAs on this team. One of them wears the C on his jersey. And I just want to throw this out there. The Philadelphia Flyers last year were supposed to be a playoff team. They traded for Ryan Ellis. They traded for Rasmus Ristolainen. They were hoping for a bounce back from Carter Hart that they're now getting this year, a year too late for him. The Flyers fell off a cliff early. 
they couldn't recover, suddenly Claude Giroux, who was a pending UFA, became the big name on the market the entire season. What's to say that doesn't turn into the same reality for Ryan O'Reilly this year? Forgive me for doing this, but also known as Ryan, Ryan. O'Reilly. <laughs> Thank you for finishing that for me. Um, but no, I, I, I think if you're St. Louis you can't forget the way they put together that Stanley cup run. Right. And so there always has to be this lingering hope that it doesn't matter how bad we are. If we can get into January and turn things on, there's always a chance we make a run at it. But I think if they get that deep and they're still kind of lagging and doesn't seem to be much of a change. And even if they try to make a coaching change here soon, which who knows if they do or not, but it's, it's possible, um, you know, give all options a chance. And then they're still, down there at the bottom of the, of the Western Conference, then I, I definitely see them moving some of their bigger names. But it seems kind of drastic to, I guess, call for that this early. But I like the fit. I like Ryan O'Reilly. I know he's not exactly the fastest of players, but he's got the hockey IQ to uh, compensate. Yeah, I didn't even get to the point that I was trying to make when I mentioned his name is... What was that name again? Ryan O'Reilly. <laughs> <laughs> How fun or interesting or fascinating or what the fuck would it be if suddenly the trade deadline comes around and Ryan O'Reilly is the Avalanche's second line center? Like how freaking crazy would that be? I just want to throw it out there because if it becomes a possibility, I just want it to be known that I thought of this first. I've talked to JJ about it. I've talked to Peter Baugh about it. Ryan O'Reilly coming back to the Avalanche at the deadline if the Blues were out of it and if they were crazy enough to trade him within the division. And obviously the Avalanche would have to pay a lot, but how fun would that be? It's a pipe dream. Uh, it, I don't even want to know if it, I can even call it a dream because Ryan O'Reilly's got three goals in 13 games. He's not having a great start to the season. He slowed down last year as well. Uh, so age is catching up to him, which is funny because for some players like Kadri, they get better with age. For someone like Ryan O'Reilly who peaked in his 20s, maybe he's starting to slow down. Not saying entirely that he's washed yet, but it's not something to be overly excited over yet. But how fascinating from a storyline standpoint would it be to see that happen? I just got to respect your desire to always bring back old players. I mean, I, I'm always <laughs> buying into the scenarios because I love the idea of bringing back guys that we used to watch here and, and love to watch here. Like Ryan O'Reilly was definitely one of those guys, a lot of skill. And um, again, just the hockey IQ, I think, is is one of the, if not the highest in the NHL. Um, so I'm for it. But, you know, we're just throwing things at the wall here. We'll see. Yeah, we'll see what happens there. But, you know, the whole thing of this isn't just to say that maybe the Avalanche bring him in. It's just to say it would be really fascinating if Ryan O'Reilly's this year's Claude Giroux, the big fish everybody's kind of targeting and looking at, and a much different player. Like Claude Giroux is a centerman that eventually became a winger later in his career that can produce a lot of points. Ryan O'Reilly, it's not the points that he has to produce to be valuable. He does so much for you. I mean, I, I'm talking to a fan base that knows. Like, you guys know what Ryan O'Reilly can bring to a team. He's won a Stanley Cup. He's won a Consummate Trophy. Uh, is he the fastest fleet of foot guy? No, absolutely not. But he wasn't when he got drafted, and he was still smart enough to make it with the Avalanche. Well, the Avalanche have gotten faster. Well, Ryan O'Reilly's also gotten smarter. So uh, whether it's the Avalanche or elsewhere, it would be a fascinating thing to keep an eye on. And, you know, like you said, this team knows that in 2019, they were worse in the NHL up until January. They turned it on. They won the Stanley Cup. But in 2018, and I know that came before 2019, so their opinions have since changed. In 2018, they traded Paul Stastny at the trade deadline in February. He was one of their top centermen at the time. 
Suddenly, a month and a half later, they found themselves in a game 82 scenario against the Avalanche that had they won that game, they make the playoffs. The Avalanche won. They didn't have Paul Stastny for that game. So they know Doug Armstrong, you know, I don't think he's 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 losing sleep over that, especially after winning the cup the following year. But Doug Armstrong has a very good grasp of reality with this team. And, you know, it's also job security to know, hey, if we're not good enough to compete, and even if we squeak into the playoffs, we're going to get blown, like our, our doors blown off of us. Um, he has that ability to kind of understand like, yeah, it's time to trade some guys because we're not as good as I think we are. Doug Arn, Doug Armstrong. Um, one thing you know that Avalanche are always in on the big fish too, right? So if that is yep. potentially a name, you know the Avalanche will at least make a call. Yeah, here is here is my third hat trick food for thought of the podcast show. The third, third time I'm going to say this, speaking of the big name thing. Remember last year when there was a lot of Jack Eichel news and Jack Eichel mentioned, uh, I thought I was going to the Avalanche at one point when he was interviewed after the trade to Vegas. Mm -hmm. Who would have been part of that trade for Jack Eichel? Probably Sam Gerard. Nope, probably Nazem Kadri. Because this mm -hmm. was before Kadri took Proof. off. Yep, Kadri correct. had a slow start the first 10 games last year. So yep. how different a world would we be living in if the Avalanche traded for the big fish, Jack Eichel, he got his artificial disc replacement. He played, I think, with wrist injuries for Vegas to end the year. He wasn't up to speed the way he is now. Do the Avalanche still win the cup? Probably not. What happens with Nazem Kadri? Does he get a $49 million contract over the summer? Probably not as well. A lot can change in one decision, and the Avalanche made the right one then. They just got to make the right one again this year. Good food for thought. That was a good one to end the podcast with. Um, so, yeah. I guess I gave it away. We're here towards the end of the podcast. Any closing thoughts? We're running along. This is probably our longest one of the year. Yeah. It, it, it definitely is, and, and for good reason. The Avalanche looks awesome, and, and I'm loving, loving what they've done the last four games, and it's only going to get better from here. We got St. Louis, and then I believe we got the Washington Capitals on the road, which is going to be the re return. Oh, no, sorry. Carolina Hurricanes on the road first and then Washington Capitals, which will be the return. And I say that in air quotes of Darcy Kemper and Nicholas Abe Kubel against the Avalanche. I say it in air quotes because the game is in Washington. Right on. Well, thanks for hanging out with us in this podcast. It was a long one, but I think it was informative. It was good. Some hot takes, some bad cold takes and a lot of food for thought. So, Hope you guys enjoyed it. Thanks for hanging out with us. And of course, if you made it this far in the podcast, bless your pretty heart. We'll see you later this week. Let's make hockey for everyone. We out you.